Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. Before we get into this week's podcast, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Alcon. Alcon is a uh, terrific partner of OIS. Uh, it's a wonderful addition to the uh, Masters panel. Mike Ball has been a great fixture up there for the last couple of OISs. And, of course, Alcon, I'm sure, will be uh, making a great deal of news as we enter into ASCRS uh, season. So thanks, Alcon, for your support of OIS and of this podcast. Now I'd like to just uh, quickly introduce our guest of the week. She's Nancy Lurker. She's the CEO of Cyvita. And uh, she joined the company last year. She brings a great deal of commercial expertise, and we uh, we get into that into the podcast. Talk a bit about Duracert, uh, about Civita's clinical trial programs. It's it's uh, doing some work in uveitis, and also just uh, some some broader issues about company management and uh, and running a company during these uh, hectic political times. So, hope you enjoy this conversation with Nancy Lurker, She's again CEO of Civita. And uh, don't forget that uh, OIS at ASCRS is coming up. It's on May 4th. The agenda is actually up on the website, so go to ois.net, check out the agenda. I think you'll like it, and uh, don't forget to register. Now let's get into this conversation with Nancy Lurker, CEO of Civita. Nancy Lurker, welcome to the OIS podcast. Thank you, Tom. Looking forward to it. Great to have you here. We did talk back at OIS uh, at AAO. It was nice to have you on camera, but uh, I always enjoy the, the podcast conversations. It seems like we can have a little more of a, 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 a thorough conversation since it's, uh, it's just you and I and there's no hubbub about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Remind us, though, for those who, who haven't uh, seen the video, you, you came to Saivita uh, last year. Uh, what was your, your background and, and how did you come to, uh, to become president and CEO of Saivita? Of yeah, so I came in September of uh, 2016, and uh, my background is I've got uh, over 30 years in the pharmaceutical industry, um, starting out at Bristol-Myers Squibb for 14 years and coming up through the sales and marketing ranks, and then ultimately uh, was in the global part of Bristol-Myers Squibb involved in cardiovascular uh, marketing. So I was very involved with launching um uh, a number of cardiovascular uh, drugs, Plavix being the most uh, important. And then after that, went over to Pharmacia, where I, again, launched a number of their products uh, around the world, both U.S. and worldwide, uh, in the general medicine space. And then after that, I basically went and ran a small private-backed um, commercial services company um, and then got recruited back over into Novartis where I was chief marketing officer and was involved with, um, you know, Novartis's $6 billion portfolio of, of uh, both specialty as well as primary care products uh, in the U.S. At that area, I was just U.S.-based. So mm-hmm. my background is obviously very, very broad-based commercial experience. And then I actually went and ran a contract sales organization, publicly traded for seven years, and got – obviously, we were involved with both small companies as well as big companies in every therapeutic area – and really became um, my team and I very, very uh, conversant and expert in, in go-to-market, what are best-in-class principles for how you go to market, how the market has evolved. And, uh, and then uh, I, after we sold PDI to Publicis, and then I was recruited into Civita. 
Excellent. At Novartis, did you uh, did you touch the uh, ophthalmology portfolio? Did you kind of get a taste of ophthalmology at that point or at some other point? No, I didn't. And it's one of the few thera- therapeutic areas where I have uh, really no commercial experience. Um, but one of the here's one of the principles I've learned, which is obviously therapeutic experience does help. But at a strategic level, and I would even say certainly at a at a commercial level, but at a strategic level. Therapeutic experience becomes less relevant. Uh, what, what's really more important is that you've got experience in what I call there's three, particularly if you're getting close to commercialization, as we are at Civita, that you have uh, there's three main distribution channels, primarily in the U.S. Some of this applies to Europe and rest of the world as well, though, though there's some nuances there, of course, which is you have your typical retail distribution, there's hospital distribution, and there is physician office distribution. And those three retail distribution channels as well have very, very different go-to-market strategies. So you do need to understand those nuances because if you don't understand those, you can really trip up and fail. And I've seen it over and over mm-hmm. again. So you'll have management teams that will come in and not understand the nuances around what's typically known as buy and bill, that your physicians who are listening would certainly appreciate that. And you need to understand, you know, what the issues are around that and how do you commercialize a product on the buy and build model. So I certainly have, in this case, we will be going with Civita. Um, as we look towards commercialization in the U.S., it's very much a buy and build model. And I've got extensive experience in that area. I, I want to get into what, what you'll be selling uh, in a second. But just looking at ophthalmology, I would guess I'd, I'd see uh, a larger percentage of that uh, sales, sales channel coming from the, the physician's offices as opposed to the other absolutely. two channels. Is that right? Okay. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Do you see that shifting at all uh, as the specialty? No. No? No. Still, no. It's still the, the ball game right there. It really is, yeah. So what are – tell us a bit about Civita's uh, technology, your your, your uh, sustained release drug delivery products, and, and, and is selling a, a, a drug delivery device, how different is that than selling an actual drug? Well, so first of all, let me answer your first question, which is if you look at what Civita has, we've got tremendous technology. And we are one of only uh, – we have three of the four approved uh, sustained release uh, drug delivery technologies on the market today. Um, so our technology is proven and established, and it is we, – we call this the DuraCert technology. It's uh, really a nanotechnology in terms of with zero-order release – and uh, that's basically where you're releasing a consistent microdose of drug consistently every single day over a defined time period. Hmm. And the problem with a lot of technologies is that they'll give uh, that you can't get that nice, smooth zero order release. You get instead a, a sawtooth pattern or a big bolus is uh, released at once, and then it start, starts to taper off. And that's never good. I don't care what organ system you're in. It's always better if you can, generally always better, if you can have a consistent release. So our technology is um, uh, for small molecules. That's what we have approved today, both in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, we originally launched Vitracert, which was out-licensed to Bosch & Lohm, then Redacert, out-licensed to Bosch & Lohm, then Alluvian, which is out-licensed to Alamera, and now we're getting ready to file our Duracert three-year uveitis program, 
uh, both in Europe and the U.S. this year. We don't have a brand name yet, so that's coming. Um, and we expect that we will be out licensing ex-U.S. rights and commercializing U.S. rights ourselves. What is the, the, the origin of your technology? Yeah, it came out years ago uh, through um, a combination of a company called Controlled Delivery Systems and Civita, which came out of Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, this goes back over 20 years. Um, and I believe some of the technology as well came out of the University of Kentucky, as I recall. So, um, you know, I know a little bit, but I don't know a lot in terms of the actual origin of it. But again, it's using a combination of um, polymers, whether it's a polyamide tube uh, or rigid tubes, or in the case we're looking at a biorotable, which would be either a rigid tube with a coating or just a straight PLGA coating itself. So it, it's knowing how you put all that together. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, adding the API, and that, of course, is all some proprietary know-how, and being able through this exceptionally exquisite delivery device, which is you know, extremely small. I'm sure, Tom, you've seen pictures. I don't know how many of your listeners have, but it's smaller than a grain of rice. And the ability of that, and we can time it to elute very specifically. Our scientists are incredibly talented in this area uh, in terms of how it elutes that consistent microdose of a small molecule over any defined time period. We can define it you know, as short as, you know, two to three months, all the way out, as you know, with our devices on the market today for three years. That's remarkable. And, and I know you had some very positive phase three results uh, last summer. Can you uh, can bring listeners up, up to date on that? And, and what are the progress that you're reporting in the U.S. on the clinical yes, trial front? Yes. yes. So we are in the process of uh, filing our applications this year for uh, posterior, uh, non-infectious posterior segment uveitis. And it is a uh, fusinolone acetate is the active ingredient um, in our device, which will elute, again, a consistent microdose over three years. Uh, it is very similar to the Alluvian device, which, again, some of your listeners are familiar with, uh, which is on the market today being commercialized by Alamera. Uh, for diabetic macular edema, and our we went and did our first phase three study, which we call the one study, and that was done both in U.S., Europe, and India. Um, that reported out about a year ago, and we had exceptional results, uh, p-value of greater than 0 0.0001. Uh, for prevention of recurrence of uveitis. So when you look at the results of this study, um, uh, you can get, you show a substantial improvement in terms of preventing flares or prevention of uveitis compared to sham. And sham was really, it's interesting because obviously uveitis is such a serious condition with leading to blindness. The sham is really almost more like a standard of care because we did allow rescue medications. So you had a large number of those patients on sham who did get rescue medications, over half of them did. And uh, as a result, even with that, we we still were, you know, substantially, significantly better than than sham in prevention of uh, uveitis. In addition, of course, we measured, you know, um, the BCVA, and we showed substantial improvements uh, in terms of the ability to improve eyesight. Um, and then we also, of course, our safety side effect profile was pretty much equivalent to what you would expect with steroid therapy. So certainly no worse, 
looking at both IOP as well as looking at cataracts. And there were no un, other, you know, untoward safety issues that came up in that study, but you did get this amazingly significantly improved uh, prevention of uh, uveitis. So as you know, it's the third leading cause of blindness in the developing world, in the developed world, and that's something that um, is very serious and needs to be addressed aggressively. And when we showed the results to our both our our uh, advisors as well as going out and done we've done some market research on it and when you look at the kaplan meyer curves the physicians immediately get it they look mm-hmm. at those curves which are very very nice curves and say wow you're really you are showing a sustained prevention of recurrence over time in these uveitis flares and again this is due to your sustained release of uh, of your your technology's ability to to keep a steady flow of, of the medicine that's certainly what you can infer from the data, mm-hmm. is that it's the, it's the consistency of it rather than, again, look, let's be honest, what's out there today is, you know, either monthly injections or there are, as you know, a product on the market which gives uh, anywhere from two to three months uh, sustained release. Um, and then, of course, you can go to your oral medications. But always the problem with that is, is that with these uveitis patients, is that, you know, they're more than unless they're scheduled consistently to come in and they keep those appointments, oftentimes they do end up with a flare before they come back in. And every time you're doing that, you're destroying the photoreceptor cells. So it's that ability, think of it more as, you know, the perfect compliance medication because you're giving that constant daily dose, low dose of a steroid, a well-characterized and proven steroid, and you're ending up with these really amazing results. That's terrific. And, and you hit upon a, a bit about this in your answer, but what, what uh, progress are you seeing outside the U.S. with, uh, with clinical trials? Is, it, is there yes. a bigger opportunity there? Yeah. Well, uh, so let me just clarify. So for the European application, we need to file this one study as well as an inserter study. Uh, for U.S., we need to file two studies as well as the inserter study. So we do have a second study ongoing right now. That study is being conducted in India. It is now fully enrolled, and we're simply waiting for the six-month readout, which should occur around the June-July timeframe. Uh, and then uh, that study, though, is identical in design, other than it's exclusively being conducted in India. And that study is identical in design to the first 001 study. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that uh, OIS is coming up on the 4th, May 4th, in L.A. So go to OIS.net, check out the agenda. It, uh, it includes a discussion about uh, the private equity interest in ophthalmology practices that we talked about in the last couple of podcasts. So please do check it out and make sure you join us in L.A. Now back to this conversation with Nancy Lurker. So what are your commercial plans going forward? Um, you're, you're, you've, you've been dealing exclusively, it sounds as if, through licensing uh, this technology to others. Is that the model going forward? Do you, do you, do you see... Uh, uh, do you see Civitas or taking on a, a more direct role to sales? What, what, what plays out for the future and, and what kind of partners are, are you looking for if the partnership route is preferred? Yes, very good questions. Yes. So I would say if I, if I was to say one of the areas where I've changed the strategic focus of the company is that when you look at how value is created in companies, one of the areas is that you you either, you know, if you're going to take a pure play biotech approach is that you get your products through phase two, maybe into phase three, and then you sell the company. That's one, that's one approach. The other approach is 
that you can out-license, and that's the approach that Civita had historically been taking. The problem is, is that when you out-license everything for, all, for, for global rights, it's very hard to consistently build value, particularly as a publicly traded company. So when I looked at Civita, one of the things that attracted me is that you've got a product right now with uveitis, which is in the process of being filed with excellent results. And it's the perfect it's the perfect product to commercialize ourselves in the U.S. because it's very small. Obviously, uveitis is not – it's an orphan condition. It's not a large uh, incidence rate or prevalence rate. And you know, when you look at the number of physicians that you have to call on, it's a relatively – it's a very small contained group of doctors. So it's – when you look, again, strategically, we're sort of the perfect candidate to begin to commercialize ourselves in the U.S. So the goal right now is that we will out-license all ex-U.S. rights, and we're in the process right now of, of talking to numerous companies about that, that, uh, those rights, and then commercialize ourselves in the U.S. So we would expect that we would go to market with a relatively small field force, Certainly, uh, after spending seven years at a contract sales organization, as I said, seen from very successful launches to, I would even say, disaster launches and everything in between, you really got a good handle on what works, what does not work, how do you make sure that you go to market with the right number of, of resources so that you don't overspend as well as you spend enough that you get the right uptake curves. And one of the things that certainly has changed, particularly in the U.S., and I would even say in Europe, but, but specifically in the U.S. over the last three to five years is with the advent of the Affordable Care Act and certainly accountable care organizations, the merging of the payers, what's happened is that the control over formularies has increased substantially. And one of the big mistakes that I saw commercial teams make over and over again is that they're going from a playbook that is outdated in terms of how you go to market. It's very important that you, you do not spend resources ahead of your pay, ability of the payers to add the product to formulary or certainly begin to cover it. And uh, in our case, again, we will make sure that we've got a well-laid-out payer strategy so physicians can ensure they're getting paid when they uh, insert the device, as well as then you, you, you follow your commercial resources behind that payer strategy. So where are you – well, first question – how much of a culture change does that require a company that's that's primarily licensed technology for to kind of shift into we are now selling directly mode? Is it a, is it a huge change or is it just a a matter of bringing on a sales force? Yeah, I would say this because it's obviously you are seeing it. It's not done all the time, but you do see a number of companies that can be successful at it. Is it a change? Absolutely, it's a change. But because it is, uh, uh, you know, we're not going out and talking about hiring, you know, hundreds of sales representatives that would overwhelm an organization our size. I'm a very big believer in you outsource in this day and age with technology, you outsource as much as possible. So is it going to be a culture change? Yes. But if you, be, you have to plan early, you start to slowly build up where appropriate, a small amount of infrastructure most of which in the early days we're going to outsource. And even as we get towards commercialization, the intent here is that we'll use a contract sales organization. Obviously, coming from it, I know exactly you know, how to go about leveraging that. And uh, you want to be able to outsource certainly all what I would call the commercial back office operations, which can be quite costly. And in this day of intense regulation, the Sunshine Act being one, 
all the um, HIPAA is another one. You, it, it's very expensive to build that infrastructure. The, the large contract sales organizations do this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of products and sales reps. It's a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to tap into that infrastructure and not build that up yourself. So it can be done. You need to go about doing it judiciously. Is it going to be a change? Yes, somewhat. But look, all organizations have to evolve if you're going to maximize the company. And looking outside the U.S., where do you see the greater opportunity, greatest opportunity for the UVitis product? Is it Europe? Is it Asia? Uh, somewhere else? Well, right now, if you look at incidence rate, it's, pro- it's a combination of uh, certainly um, in Europe and then the uh, India is a, is a big country that we'll be looking at. Um, and Asia is another one that we're going to con- to uh, look for partners. So mm-hmm. I would say those three areas, we're not going to eliminate as well Latin America, but in terms of where the real opportunity is, you've you got to remember as well, some of it is where the, where the market is developed. Obviously, sure. Europe has the most developed market. So sometimes it's prevalence-driven, but you also have to make sure that the market is developed and they've got the capacity you know, to uh, um, treat these kinds of conditions, and also, you know, insert. This is not, you know, it does require an office procedure and some expertise. Uh, you have to have uveitis or retinal specialists in the countries who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. India would be a country we're certainly going to be looking at as well as Europe and Asia. And you mentioned ACA earlier. Of course, it's something that everyone is is uh, is in contact with, and it's something that, uh, well, frankly, we don't know what form it may take um, ultimately or if it's going to be changed at all. Who knows? How do you sort of account for the the potential change on the federal level? Is it something that you track day to day? Is it something that you sort of just have to keep forging ahead with the rules that are in place and then shift or or, or, or accommodate changes as they come? How how do you manage this? So, Tom, you know what? Here's here's my take, having watched this, you know, and particularly being a CEO for the last 10 years in, in these roles, you know, you cannot you can't worry too much about what you can't control. Do you need to keep an eye on it? Of course. But even with the Affordable Care Act, right, it, that, that took time to roll out. So you always have time to adjust to it. If I would say the biggest thing right now, it's price. Mm-hmm. And look, again, your listeners all know this. We all see what's going on, which is the pharma industry in general has got to manage its pricing strategy better and differently. Now, you've got to get reimbursed for innovation. If, we shut, if, if we're not willing to pay for the innovation, then innovation is going to go away, and I don't think anybody wants that. But if you're bringing true value and true innovation, you should be rewarded for that without going out, and let's, let's be honest, where the real egregious examples are are the companies that are taking Me Too drugs or uh, generic products or, you know, products that have been around forever and have no competition and jacking the prices up. Mm-hmm. That's what I think every bit where people find repellent. Certainly the current administration has called that out, and I, I honestly applaud that. We need to rein those kinds of practices in. On the other hand, too, we need to be justly paid for the risk and the innovation that the industry brings. So in this case, I'm not too concerned about Civita's ability to command a good price for the because we're truly bringing innovative technology to the marketplace, and there's huge unmet need in uveitis and other ocular diseases. We all know that, and you're talking about blindness. So we, if, 
for us to continue to invest, we need to get a return on that capital and be able to charge a fair price. I'm not too concerned about the ability to do that, even with the current administration and the changes that are that are coming. That sounds like a good take. And just a final question, as, as we mentioned at the start, you came aboard in uh, in September. Have you uh, brought aboard anyone else uh, on the, at the management level to sort of help steer the ship going forward? Yeah, I actually have made very few changes here because I will say that the team here is a terrific team. It's a it's a great group of people with uh, particularly, you know, very, very strong uh, science and scientists here. Uh, I have brought in uh, one uh, senior level person, Deb Jorn, who is a highly experienced commercial development and uh, corporate development person, very, very experienced in, again, taking drugs to market. Uh, she was the former chief commercial officer uh, for ophthalmology at Bosch and Loam, so she's got tremendous experience in that area, and she's a real talent. So I'm very pleased to have Deb here, and her number, she's got two main tasks, which is to find us our ex-US partner, and then also on collaboration deals. Certainly our technology is uh, one that many companies for their small molecules can use with our DuraCert technology and to find us additional collaboration partners. Terrific. Well, it sounds like it's uh, all, all, all steam ahead there at, uh, at Saivita. I'm glad you had a few seconds to, to give us an update, and uh, we look forward to talking again in the future. Tom, thank you. It's a pleasure. Take care, Nancy. And that's a wrap. Again, Alcon, thanks for supporting the OAS podcast and for your support of OAS at large. Uh, it's great to have uh, have you part of the OAS family. And again, we're particularly pleased, I'm particularly pleased that uh, you're supporting this podcast. So thank you. Nancy Lurker, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It was great to talk to you again. Wish you uh, best of luck at Saivita and look forward to following that story on the stage at OIS. And thank you, podcast listeners, for joining us. If you want to help us out, please give us a uh, ranking on iTunes. And uh, don't forget to leave a comment and to tell your friends. And uh, again, OIS at ASCRS is coming up on May 4th in L.A. Go to OIS.net to register, and we will see you in Los Angeles.